The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Jeffrey Davidson. Jeffrey is an executive and enterprise transformation coach and consultant from Dallas, Texas. Each day, he works with clients to help leaders build teams that deliver. With specialties in leadership, team building, workforce development, and facilitation, Jeffrey has enabled personal growth for thousands of individuals over the course of his career. The underlying values and principles of Agile continue to drive the core tenets of how Jeffrey builds great teams today. Jeffrey, I'm really glad that we were able to reconnect uh, by getting this podcast uh, schedule on the calendar and everything. Me too. Yeah, it's fantastic. (laughs) Um, There are so many things that we could explore, and I'm sure we could make this into a three-hour episode. And so this may end up having to be part (laughs) one of many um, because... uh, there's, you know, a ton of stories that I know you could tell and the way that you've acted as an advocate for me as I got started in the agile industry um, is just really a testament to the the value that I know that you've brought to, to many people within our community. Well, you know, I really want to say thanks for that. And I would like to start off our conversation with a question for you. Okay. Which is why me? So, yeah. So I think, right, that the fact that when we started planning our strategy for the Women in Agile podcast series, we said, this is not only about um, showcasing the the wisdom and the intelligence and the beauty of the women in our Agile community, but it's about bringing in all voices and aspects of diversity that impact and shape how the women in agile movement is emerging and uh, how we go after and, and seek equality um, within right standard right gender diversity aspects and, and other aspects of uh, the work that we're looking to do and I said well who are the people that have shaped my role and my journey um, and you were one of the first people that I thought of so I said who better? to have a conversation with than Jeffrey. Well, I take this as a compliment. Thank you. You're and welcome. I look forward when you've had so many episodes under your belt that you start to think, what else do we need to talk about in the space of diversity and agile? And then you get into the debates between Scrum versus Kanban versus Safe versus <laughs> versus because, because that in itself is also diversity. And it is. People struggling it in is. with that. And yes. in some ways, that's a simple philosophical thing. But, you know, in the Agile space, it's more a theological debate than anything else. But anyway, let's get back to the conversation. Where do you want to start? <laughs> well, so as I, as I think about um, how I want to keep you... Um, I'll call it micromanaged within this episode. Jeffrey needs to focus. You know, I need some blinders. I want to talk a little bit about just sort of your perspectives um, and and what you've seen as you go about building building teams and thinking about aspects of diversity uh, and talk a little bit about that as well as then kind of dig into you and your story and what led you to sort of being someone that people look at as an ally and an advocate for them. So um, 
I know you could talk about you for a really long time. So let's start with the more theoretical, um, more kind of Bring take on. on some of this. Is that okay? <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. All right. So you're, you know, you've been in your, your business analyst, right? You've been an agile coach. And as you've sort of pivoted in your career and focused more and more on leadership coaching in the ways that leaders go about building great teams, um, we all know that having diversity within the team is, is really key. And so I'm curious as you know, you're looking at coaching leaders um, in their skill set for building their own teams. What's that conversation like and what are the skills and what's the inner work that you're leading them through so that they're in a place to be able to cultivate diversity within the teams they're working with? I, you know, it's, that's a great question and it's a deep question. And um, I think for me, and I, I'm not saying this would work for anyone else, but I take two approaches and I'll do them generally simultaneously. Um, one is some blunt questions, and two is some simple steps. So uh, blunt questions is, how many women are on your teams? Um, how many people do you have from different countries? Uh, I will ask them literally about diverse li the questions about diversity. I want to understand how diverse their teams are just so we get an idea. Because there are some teams where 90% uh, of the people in IT are Indian, um, mm -hmm. from India. And, but in the rest of the company, it's 2%. <sighs> you are not diverse as an organization or as an IT organization in that case. Um, right. How many women do you have on your teams? Well, let's say it's 35% women, great. What kind of roles do they have? Well, all but two of them are in QA. I, again, we're not diverse. So mm -hmm. I will ask blunt questions to get them started thinking about this. Depending on their answer, I may not push much more than the blunt questions. Uh, it depends on the relationship. It depends on the type of engagement I have. But then what I focus on, and this is the small step, is to help leaders realize that in every meeting, every person there has a voice, every voice has value, and some people need a few extra seconds or a few extra minutes to respond. That just because some people talk a lot doesn't mean they should. And just because some people don't want to talk doesn't mean you should allow them to never talk. Yeah. And it's that teaching facilitation techniques to leaders, um, whether it's a team leader, an organizational leader, whether a director, whatever level they're at, so that in every meeting, everyone has a chance to speak, no one is being spoken over, and that you're encouraging the people who are usually a bit more quiet to use their voice. I, I, it's interesting that you talk of, right, you know, there's a theme in these these episodes that we're recording because I know I've, I've said it in other conversations, but um, I've, somewhere in the course of this calendar year, I've become familiar with the phrase verbal privilege, right? And mm -hmm. I and there's this, I'd never thought about it before, but it's that idea of, you know, 
And very often there's people exercising verbal privilege, either because they just like to talk or they're good at it, but how much space that sucks up for other people. It does. And I'm not familiar with that phrase. I love it. I instantly think that's great. And I'm one of those who can suck up a whole room, but I've spent a long time focusing on myself and being quiet and allowing other people the chance to speak. And I view it in the terms of safety. And my goal is to make every meeting safe so that every participant has a chance. And I will start out the meeting calling out this dynamic and I can be brand new to a group and I'll ask who's the person who likes to talk at all. And they'll all start laughing and Kelly will raise his hand and we'll have a good laugh. And I'm like, okay, Kelly, here's the rules for you. And then I'll say, okay, who's the person who doesn't like to speak during a meeting? And they'll all point over at two people over on the other side of the room, probably toward the corner. And I'll say, okay, here's the rules for you. And I'll talk about how you can pass, but how we're going to take turns speaking at certain questions. I find that building safety in meetings on a regular basis is actually the start to allowing for diversity because you're allowing the voices that are currently unheard in your organization become more vocal, become a part of the conversation. You're recognizing their value. You're starting to make different decisions because there's there. And that when I've spent time working on that baseline, that platform, it's now easier in the weeks or months later to have a conversation about what kind of diversity are we still missing in organization? Do we have the right kind of people as testers? Do we have the right kind of people as whatever the case might be? And it can even get so far as uh, there's a, a communication preference tool called a DISC assessment. Mm-hmm. And I've known of an HR organization where everyone in the organization was an S type, which means stands for supportive, um, generally speaking. The problem was, is there were so many supportive people in HR that no one was making decisions. Right. <laughs> no one was attending to the compliance issues. You need they a high D in there up. somewhere. <laughs> you do. And they realize that even in their personality type, you need, or they're not personality, but communication style, you need some differences. Yep. You need the same thing on every team. But it starts with making it safe for everyone to speak. Yeah, for sure. It's really honing in that meta skill around deep democracy and making sure that all voices are really heard. And so- I wonder, you know, as as you work with leaders on this, do you notice any differences when you're working with maybe more, I I hate to bring in this lens of more like hierarchical organizational structure, but do you notice a difference in the conversations that you're having uh, when people are building those kind of, you know, I'm a frontline manager or a frontline supervisor building teams versus that conversation around building diversity um, of actual like leadership teams and leaders of leaders is, does, does this transcend directly or is there more to it? Well, you know, it's a hard thing to answer and and I don't want to speak in generalities, but I have to, to answer the question. Mm -hmm. It's my experience that most people understand that there's value in diversity and there's a greater understanding the higher you are of the org chart. But I found that no matter where you are in the org chart, having the time to work on that is almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I've spoken with um, some leading companies in the agile space, and I've said, I've asked them, why don't you have more women in doing these jobs? And their answer was, well, they're really hard to find. And I said, so what are you doing about it? Oh, send them to the women in agile <laughs> events we have before the big agile conferences and let them go recruit there. Cause that's definitely not a problem. There's so much talent here in this community. <laughs> well, but their answer, I mean, and I, when I won't accept just a pet answer and I push them, they get mad. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's not enough. There are very few firms out there. There's a couple, but there are very few that are saying we're going to train up women. And our goal is to actually have talent at all levels across the organization. If that doesn't come from the very top, if it's just lip service at the top, it's going to be some level of lip service below. Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. do think smaller companies have a better job with middle management than really large Fortune 100 companies. Mm -hmm. um, and for frontline leaders, uh, it's a lot about do they have the right kind of personal experience? Because if they haven't had it, then they don't get it yet. Yeah. That's, that's my experience. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, any, any other sort of thoughts around this idea of leadership skills in terms of building diversity? Because... I'm I'm feeling the the need to pivot to another thing that I'm getting curious about, but I don't want to shut you off too soon. I I don't know whether or not I want to scream or cry right now, to be honest. <laughs> um, the the whole thing makes me sad. It pisses me yeah. off, and um, it's just a lack of understanding. And maybe maybe this is for the end, but I'm, I'm gonna say it now. If you're working with an organization or maybe just with a single boss or a single leader who doesn't yet get it, um, don't be afraid to speak up while at the same time never pull out your hammer um, and beat them up with your ideas because we're all on a journey. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying that where we are is good enough because heaven knows it's not, but we all have a journey to make and we all need to make progress. Some people are trying and getting it wrong. Some people aren't trying. Um, so it's how do we understand where people are and help them? I, yeah. I think that that needs to be a clarion call for all of us. Yeah. And I actually, I really love that lens of some people are trying and getting it wrong. And it can, we can be so quick to judge and punish and say, oh, well, they just don't get it. They're, you know, because they're doing something wrong. But yet we know, right? if we think towards our agile values, this idea of inspect and adapt, you know, the fact that they're trying, let's give people some grace and provide them the opportunity to inspect and adapt. Because to your point, there's other people that just aren't trying. So let's celebrate those people that are. And even if they don't get it right, you know, keeping to our core principles of providing feedback and giving them that opportunity to inspect and adapt. No one is going to get this right on the first try. You know, I've done so many things right, but good heavens, I, how much more privileged? I mean, you, you have me on the show and I'm a middle-aged white guy. G good. I, I have every privilege I could possibly want. So, um, you know, I'm trying and I, good heavens, I know I'm getting it wrong and I know I need more feedback. So uh, we're all, we're all going from where we were to where we want to be. Let's help each other get there Yeah, with grace and passion. I yeah. like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and let's not diminish there are things that you're getting right, because if you weren't getting some things right, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. <laughs> right. So I think Thank back you. to, you know, I knew of you through the internet and we were internet Twitter friends back in my business analysis days um, prior to even sort of beginning my agile journey. And then I remember meeting you face to face the the very first time. And, you know, even from the Twitterverse into, you know, a, a real friendship, if I could use quotation fingers around that, there was no doubt in my mind that you were an advocate and a cheerleader and a champion of mine um, in, in creating the space and making the investment in me and networking and helping establish relationships and providing hard feedback sometimes. But there's a kind of a natural, charismatic and authentic way <laughs> that you take on this mentorship and advocacy of others, right? I've experienced it firsthand. I've seen you do it with others. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of your personal journey to reaching a point where you can be a, a middle-aged white man with all of this privilege <laughs> that is really kind of a stellar role model for others to look to as, as it turns, it turns into being like what we, what we need as allies today. Um, the, you know, my background, um, you know, I was, I went to a good grade school, you know, and, you know, the North side of Chicago and, we had everyone in the class and it didn't make a difference who you were. You were just there. And I was one of the smart kids and I was blessed that way. Um, and I went to a nice suburban high school and, you know, I didn't understand how come people weren't paying attention in class. Um, but I didn't do any homework. So my grades were really poor. Uh, and when I got to college, I ended up with a couple mentors. Uh, they were both female and one was the Dean of students and one was, um, a Dean in the library system. And they were willing to invest time in me. Uh, one thing the dean of students said that I appreciated the time, though I really didn't understand, and I'm not sure I totally get, is she said she liked working me because I didn't care who anyone was. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean I don't care who anyone is? She goes, you don't care if they're male or female. You just work with them. And I'm like, well, yeah. Why would I care? <laughs> Yeah. And she goes, exactly, Jeffrey. That's why I like you. Um, so I suppose I have to blame my mother. Um, a quick story. I was on this trip to Scotland as a teenager, 15 years old. There's like six guys, 16 gals. And we're there for the summer working in this estate built in 1774. It's older than our own country. And we're renovating it for some organization. And the guys are all laying there, you know, in bed one night in our sleeping bags talking about who the prettiest girl is and i like saying this one name they're like jeffrey you're wrong she's not the prettiest i'm like yes she is and we get into an argument and um after about five or six minutes someone finally says oh jeffrey i understand you're you're confused we're talking about who the prettiest is you're talking about who the nicest person is and who has the best personality and in some ways, I view that conversation uh, as a 15-year-old boy was the day I lost something. Um, because to me, I never really considered the difference. Uh, and I try to remember that, for the most part, we are all just bundles of potential. The question is, how can we grow it? Mm -hmm. 
You know, I used to say when we were hiring, I, I don't care if you're a Martian, if you can do the job, you can get the job. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's what I try to remember is we're all potential. Yeah. And I think there's, there's something to maybe some of us that for whatever reason, have those kind of pivotal moments in life where you realize that some people think about it, uh, in different ways versus, wow, you just see humans for humans and look for that potential. Um, and you know, that, that'd be a sort of an interesting thing to ask other men that I look to as my own advocates and cheerleaders and supporters. And, um, if they've had similar moments in their own personal journeys, are there any other things that you think about that kind of have shaped your your stance and and role as you look towards being whether or not it's women or just anyone in general holding that stance of mentor and advocate for others? Um, well, I've had some great bosses and I've had some terrible bosses, and um, all my great bosses in life from my perspective, uh, set a high standard and communicated it and had the same standard for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it didn't back to my, I, I don't care if you're a male or female or green or whatever you are, you're, this is your job and here's the high standard and how do we help you meet it? And if you can't meet it, what do we need to do to help you meet it? So I really take that to heart that, as a leader, um, and it's true for diversity, but it's just true for humans, you know, set your standard, but be clear about it, communicate it, say, what do we need to do to help you reach it? And then reinforce it. You, you brought up feedback earlier. And, uh, as you may recall, I'm a huge fan of feedback. Um, so, cause I don't think we can do anything without mm -hmm. it. So how do we then build in the right mechanisms so that people know how they're doing against the standard we set. And I think that if you're an honest leader, um, and I, I think leaders struggle with this next statement. If you're an honest leader and your people are struggling to achieve this high standard you've set, you've got to look at the tools you're providing, the support you're providing in terms of processes and policies, the training you're providing, uh, the interaction with their peers. And very seldom are people failing because they want to do a good job. It's often the environment or the initial setup that's causing the problem. Yeah, I tend, I, I tend to agree that you know, people that may not be showing up the way we want them to they're often victims of the system that they're operating within. Um, Cause as I've heard other people say, right, no one really wakes up in the morning with the intent to go to work and be like, I'm going to be a jerk and do a bad job today. Right. We're just, you know, of course there are going to be some people that do that, but the overwhelming majority of us don't come to work with that purpose in the morning. That is so true. It, I, maybe it's wrong, but I think people are on a bell curve and the, you're going to get 10% on either end, 10% mm -hmm. on the good end of your bell curve, um, want to do a good job and are going to work their high knees off to do a great job every day. Yep. And 10% you should not hire pretty much under any circumstance because they're going to be sabotaging, yep. you know, something's going on. The 80% in the middle are in the middle yep. and they're going to kind of fall wherever the organization is. Yep. 
and they're going to follow that organizational standard. So my goal in hiring is to hire in the top 25% so that if I make a mishire and I get someone who's in the middle or the lower half, well, they're going to fall where the organization is. And the organization is one that cares and one that works and one that collaborates yeah. and one that's always learning. Yeah, it's always so, uplifting everyone around them. Yes. Yeah. So I think in that part, hiring people who have a, the right mindset of collaboration and working with each other mm-hmm. is important. Yeah. Which again, it's back to diversity. You've got to be ready to collaborate and work with each other. Yeah. If you want to be a solo star, that's great. But I work with teams and every organization I know needs teams. Yeah, there's there are a few opportunities for true solo um, stardom anymore as we look at the modern workforce for sure. Agreed, yeah. agreed. So as I start thinking about us wrapping up our conversation today, I kind of want to pick your brain. I, you know, I think about ways people learn and stories that, you know, you know, you hear and like, oh, that really resonated with me and that shapes my thinking. Um, so I want to just see what stories you have, right? You get a chance to work with lots of emerging leaders and you see them do things well and you see them make a mistake um, or not just a mistake, but you see them make mistakes. So I guess, <laughs> you know, as you look at emerging leaders and what they do well and what mistakes they do make, what are some of those? And then do you notice any differences based on gender or other diversity factors as it pertains to the kinds of mistakes and successes that they have? Um, I do, I do see a common pattern um, that in the last few years, uh, it strikes me more and more. It's one of the key patterns. So we'll talk about that. And then I suppose that it's not so, it might be related to gender. It's more about who's woke and who's not. Okay. Um, but we'll talk about how the pattern applies to those folks. And it, it's women are usually more woke than men. But um, but the pattern is that people know why you do something. In other words, uh, you and I are friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, we last talked a few months ago. And then you don't call. And I'm like, Leslie doesn't call because she's mad at me because... You know, I forgot to send her a Christmas card. Yeah, we are story-making machines when it comes to that sort of stuff. We are. We make stories. Um, In general, we feel instantly, and then we use our rational brain on top of our feelings to instantly generate a story. Mm -hmm. And that story-making machine, to use your phrase, makes a story that justifies and explains our feelings. And then we go around believing this story that we made up. And we probably tell it to other people whether or not it's true. And the, the odds it's are it's probably true. not true because it's a story we made up. <laughs> it's almost never true. I was um, working with a bunch of Agile coaches trying to get them to understand this. And one of the Agile coaches was saying, I can't believe it. I worked so hard. I met with this leader. I've left her two emails. It's been a week and she hasn't replied. She didn't think the training was a good job. She didn't think I did a good job for team and all the rest. And I said, how do you know that's what she's thinking? And he says, well, it's obvious. She hasn't replied to the email. I'm like, well, is it possible there's any other reason why she hasn't replied to her email? And uh, he goes, well, I don't think so. I'm like, well, do you think maybe she has a day job and she's been busy? Or maybe she was on vacation? Or And I list off 10 reasons. And he's like, 
stop it, Jeffrey. Yes. I, I don't know why she didn't reply. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, I'm glad you realized that. By the way, I talked to her yesterday and she loved what you did. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make here is that we do this all the time without thinking. We do this to our partners. We do this to our parents and our children. We do this to our neighbors. I have a neighbor across the street and when he cuts his lawn and he cuts, doesn't have a surface, he cuts himself and then he gets out his blower and he blows it off of his side of the street. So then it blows over and it's on my side of the street. And I have family members who are sure that he does this just to spite us to make our yard look bad. And I'm thinking Joe could care less about our yard. He just wants to make his yard look good. (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's nothing vindictive about him blowing the grass clippings. Right. <laughs> it just so happens we're across the street. It just so happens they blow on our side. Yeah. Some of them blow to the other neighbors. Yeah. When I think the real, so, the, the challenge here that I kind of issue to people listening to you talk about this, because I think it's ex- exceptionally relevant, is just building the awareness of when we're making up stories. Right. And, and just, you know, when you notice yourself or it, it comes into aspects of, you know, bias, right? Um, hey, you know, I kind of made up and just normalizing it, right? I sort of made up a story that this was going on. I, I don't even know if that's right, you know, and just acknowledging and normalizing that for yourself as well as for others, I think is a way to make this part of the conversation on a day in and day out basis, because it's not only happening in these sort of discrete situations, like you're talking about when someone doesn't get an email reply or your neighbors may be blowing something in your yard, but it happens in terms of generalities around segments of our population or types of workers, whatever type of diversity it may be. And, you know, bringing this to light and leaning into the curiosity of what really is going on and learning not to take it personally, I think is, is something we can challenge our, our, all of us to do a little bit better. I, I agree. And my advice is anytime you think you know something, ask yourself, um, how do I know this? Mm-hmm. Because the only way to know it is if they've told you or you've asked them directly. Yep. Nothing else counts. Yeah. So I, I want to pivot this now to um, where I've seen this and to the gender issue okay. or to the people who are more things. Um, I've come to realize, and this was something I'm still learning and still dealing with, is that um, unrequested advice is an attack. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> this is a difficult concept to get to. Um, so I'll give you a quick story. I uh, have been using PowerPoint for years. I, I don't know anyone who knows more about PowerPoint than I do. Uh, I just, I've used it so many times in so many settings, and I do things with it other people don't know how to do. So I was working with someone else, and I then proceeded to give this person some advice. Um, They didn't ask for the advice, and then they turned and attacked me back because they thought what I was doing was an attack on their skills. Mm -hmm. In no ways, in no way at all did I mean to be rude or wrong or step on their toes. Um, But I did. I made a mistake. It took me months to realize 
how this had gone down, that I gave some unasked for advice, that they took that as an attack, and then they attacked back in their own defense mode. I don't know that I see this more in women than men, but when we're talking about people who get what diversity is and get what safety is, sometimes we're so sensitive about it that we're hypersensitive and we attack back when the other person was just trying to be helpful. Mm -hmm. So it'd be much better to have a conversation than respond in kind. Because again, you don't know what they're thinking. That attacker didn't know, or that victim didn't know what I was thinking because they didn't ask. And I didn't say, yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Context can be so king, king for like everything. It, it can be. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. That's a great story. Any final sort of wisdom or advice you want to share with our listeners? Because since I'm asking for it. Um, <laughs> since you're asking for it. My final piece would be uh, feedback is, uh, is an F word and it's scary. So when, if you want to keep on getting better, uh, go to people and say this and say it just like this. I meant to do a good job. Is there something I did well that I can build upon? Is there something where I didn't do as well as I wanted where I should refocus? If you ask those questions, people will be very open and honest as a general rule. And if you've done that for a while in a relationship, you can say, can I give you some feedback? Mm -hmm. And then make them ask the question just like I stated, because neurologically, if you ask for feedback, you're more likely to take it. (laughs) Yep. I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, Jeffrey, thank you for making the time today. Um, I'm going to go ask you for some feedback as well as other people for feedback on this and many of our other Women in Agile episodes. So thanks for making the time today. It was a true pleasure. Thank you for the honor. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or coworker about the podcast. Please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiative and find more inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast, checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.